So last week, we released a bonus episode based on an event we had called Wide Awake, a Day for Female Founders. And one of the panels that we had was with Visa and Chase. So many women think that maybe they have to get a VC or private equity or go into credit card debt. But these women went over, you know, down to the granular details of how to get a small business loan, how to use your credit and a business loan from a bank to really leverage, you know, starting out capital. So I really think it's great advice and um, it's worth listening. So um, we're going to get smarter about all things money. So I'll let you take it away. Thank you again, Rebecca, and hello, everyone. Um, Some of you saw me this morning when we opened, so if you were here, so thanks for coming to our panel. If you were interested in getting funding for your small business, so... um, just again to sort of summarize what what why we're here um, at Visa, we are really looking at women and and the increased financial power that that women have um, in the United States and and also around the globe. Yet we see so much in terms of, of differences in how women are approaching investing and how they feel about money, and it continues to really be a taboo subject for women. Um, so we're trying to change that. We're trying to to get rid of those old taboos, and we want women to feel comfortable talking about money and, and standing up for themselves and asking for what they want and what they need, equal pay and funding for small businesses. So she's next. Of course, we, we partnered with the Female Founders Collective and, um, uh, and Rebecca to uh, really help to empower uh, women and give them the tools they need um, to grow their business. And I mentioned this morning that we did a, a survey with women-owned small businesses, and 75% of women said it's hard to obtain funding. So that was really the number one challenge. Um, luckily, we have a lot of great great partners um, at Visa, one of which is, is Chase. And um, Chase actually has, with, with um, Hilda and Cheryl, um, being part of their, their small business um, um, investment arm is really focused on helping women to get that funding. So um, let me actually start then with, with Cheryl, and maybe you can help us to just talk about what credit options are available to business borrowers, and how do you determine, as a small business owner, what's the best option to pursue? Sure, sure. Um, so there are a multitude of credit options that are available for small businesses to purchase assets, manage cash flow, inventory, working capital. And so probably the easiest way to start is with a line of credit. A lot of people talk about a line of credit. Lines of credit are really used for short-term purposes. So like purchasing inventory, something that's going to turn relatively quickly. Because with a line of credit, you want to draw the funds out. And then when you collect a receivable, pay that money back. So the money's going in and out, in and out. So very short-term needs. Next are term loans. And term loans are for assets that will generate income over a period of time. And the loan is paid over a period of time. So as those assets are generating revenue, that revenue is used to pay down that debt. So on term loans, you'll generally see fixed or variable interest rates, depending on the lender that you utilize. And then for lines of credit, you usually see um, variable interest rates, which means that interest rate's going to change periodically. And that'll be spelled out in the note for you. 
So one thing that's really important is you want to match the credit vehicle with the credit need. So you wouldn't want to, as an example, finance a piece of equipment on a line of credit because that's for a short-term need. You'd want to do that on a term loan. So let me give you an, a kind of a real-life example. Let's say you have a business that has delivery routes and they purchase a new delivery truck for $75,000. They put that truck into, into operation and immediately it's generating revenue and that revenue will be used to repay that debt. Now, the business could have paid cash for that vehicle, and over time, the money would have come back to the business, but that's over time, and it depletes the cash that's within the business, kind of that safety net. So financing that made good sense because it's a long-term asset, and it's paid with the income that comes after that. So other financing options that are available are SBA loans, which are near and dear to my heart. So that's what Hilda and I do. So when it comes to SBA loans, we, we love SBA. SBA is a great tool for borrowers that maybe need longer repayment terms, lower down payments, or maybe have some credit weaknesses. If, you're, if your business is not ready for traditional bank financing, there are a multitude of options through community development financial institutions or CDFIs. CDFIs are mission-based nonprofit lenders that offer financing sometimes as low as $500. Many of them participate in what's called the SBA Community Advantage Program, which offers financing up to $250,000. And it comes with technical assistance, which can be really great for new and emerging businesses because you have someone that comes in and you say, I don't know how to handle bookkeeping. And they can give you some guidance on steps you would want to take to do that. And then um, last but not least is credit cards. Credit cards are a very valuable tool for businesses to use for um, shipping, um, like office supplies and things like that. With a credit card, when you're spending money, you're actually making money back with all the nice perks that they have, gift cards, things like that. So credit cards can be great. And if you pay that off every month, you've got a grace period, and so it's like an interest-free loan. So credit cards can be a really important tool for businesses as well. Well, speaking of credit cards... Um, can't, you know, can't let that go by without giving a little plug for Visa, but... it. You know, even before I joined Visa about a year ago, I worked on the in the on the small business um, side of credit cards for for many years. Um, it always amazes me that many businesses do write checks for for their monthly expenditures, and you know, think about the fact that particularly with Visa, you get the you get the trust, you get the security. There's zero liability if for some reason you're buying something online or there is your credit card is is um, somehow compromised that you are not responsible for that. So and you basically get 45 days float by the time you 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 get your bill and then you are required to make your payment. I mean, why not? Why not use that as an option and it's a, just a great way to to make your your monthly payments. And of course, Visa is accepted at millions of locations around the world. Um, so, but I really would say to improve your cash flow and to um, leverage the the cardholder benefits, um, which of course on the on the um, within small business also includes um, access to to the SBA. So, Cheryl, can you give a little bit more detail around the SBA program since that's what you and Hilda work on? Sure. Do we have like an hour? Because I love to talk about SBA loans. 
<laughs> so SBA loans are actually made by a lender to a business and not directly from the SBA. The SBA comes in and guarantees the loan. So if you're seeking an SBA loan, you'd actually go to a lender to get that loan. And the SBA has lots of different programs that you can participate in. So the first one is called SBA Express, and that's the most streamlined program that's offered through the SBA. You can apply for loans up to $350,000. The SBA comes in and guarantees 50% of that loan. So the lender can be a little bit more aggressive when they're looking at underwriting that request. Under SBA Express, you can do a term loan or you can do a line of credit. So both options are available under Express. So that's kind of the first product. The next one is SBA 7A lending, and that goes up to $5 million. An SBA 7A loan is just a term loan, meaning that it doesn't revolve. And so an SBA 7A loan, you would want to look at purchasing real estate, equipment, those longer-term assets that are then going to repay the debt as they generate income. So an SBA 7A loan can be a great option. Uh, Next is SBA 504. And the 504 transactions fund real estate and equipment, large pieces of equipment. And unlike Express and 7A, where the SBA comes in and guarantees the loan, it's structured a little bit differently. So the bank comes in and finances 50% of the project. The SBA, through what's called a certified development company, will come in and finance 30 to 40%, depending on the transaction, and your down payment will be 10 to 20%. If you have an existing business and you're purchasing a property that's multi-use, not special purpose, then your down payment's only 10%. And then if it is kind of considered special purpose, and I always use hotels as kind of an example, a building that's a hotel can really only be used for a hotel. But if you're built, if you're purchasing more of a like manufacturing or business, then that 10 that extra 5% wouldn't apply. So SBA 504 can be a great option for real estate purchases. The term that the SBA offers is 20 or 25 years fully amortizing. So you've got the SBA partnering and then the bank portion, you'd negotiate those terms. So a lot of people are confused about who, who can qualify for an SBA loan. And so it's really important that you work with a lender that's familiar with the SBA programs because the SBA has what's called a standard operating procedure that's like 800 pages long. <laughs> and it's, it's a government program, so it's, it's highly regulated. But I always like to say, if you are providing a service or producing a product you probably are eligible for an SBA loan. So some of the other criteria, to give you an example, if you are a nonprofit, you would not qualify for an SBA loan. You have to be set up as for-profit. The um, size of the business, it's the small business administration. So you have to be less than a certain size to qualify. But get this, to qualify, you have to have less than 15 million in net worth and 5 million in income. So I don't know about you, but that's a big business. So as you can see, the, the opportunities to provide financing under SBA are pretty large. And the next is the use of proceeds. So if you're looking at financing something that you're using in the ongoing operations of your business, that generally will qualify for SBA financing. So let me give you, give you an example. Let's say you have a business that is in a building and across the street there's a piece of raw land and they think, I would really like to buy that piece of raw land because three or four years from now, I think my business is going to be big enough that I'll be able to expand and then I can build a building over there. 
not a use for SBA because it's not in the ongoing operations of the business. So that'd be considered more investment. However, let's say that same business sees that lot across the street needs right now to expand. They, they're just, they have no room and they want to build a building and they want to occupy that perfect use of SBA lending because it's being used in the ongoing operations of the business. Yes. So for those of us that don't run traditional brick and mortar companies, how would you apply that if there is no real estate or equipment or all of that kind of stuff? Meaning whether or not it would be eligible. If you're using the money in your business, so let's say you need working capital, or let's say you need inventory, it's is that money going directly into your business, or is it going someplace else that's more kind of speculative or investment related? Yeah. So, um, so as I'm probably one of the only people in here, I spent 20 years in banking. We were talking about it before. Also worked at JP Morgan. Um, a lot of times, I think as a new founder that's self-funded. The daunting part of the paperwork and what you read online yeah. as you're starting to think about how you fund versus going out to investors, etc. It's a lot to deal with as an entrepreneur, whether you have a co-founder or, or not. So with, with the example of the SBA or even just in general, how do you fight through the process, the, the fact that you may not have financial statements and those types of things? Yeah. So, well, you know, if I can also just build on that, sure. because because my next question is going to be related. No, no, no. You're, it, it's a great question because that's your good example of what we found in our research that six in 10 women choose to self-fund their business. And that's a lot more than men. So why? And what are the benefits? And Hilda, you can jump in as well to actually using credit for your business versus if you have the cash, self-funding. So that's a great question. We oftentimes hear so many different reasons for applying for credit for a business owner. There's no question that for many business owners, it's realizing a dream or perhaps pursuing a different career path after working for companies for many years. We recognize that entrepreneurship is absolutely growing. According to the U.S. Small Business Administration in 2018, there were 30 million small business owners that, own, that employed over 47% of the private workforce. It's amazing. Entrepreneurship is extremely strong. So we do receive credit requests to provide funding for startups, but also as Cheryl had said earlier, it provides working capital for the business. Every business needs working capital. And oftentimes that liquidity can help the business owner in a multitude of ways, including taking advantage of discounts for suppliers buying supplies in bulk, inventory in bulk, or perhaps even repaying for the supplier terms faster. But there's no question that credit, the, the liquidity that's offered, can help you hire really top talent as well as qualified employees in a really aggressive of, of, um, workforce market, very competitive. Um, we also see opportunities to help clients finance equipment. So we talk about the liquidity aspect of it. A fixed asset is typically requires more down payment However, when you look at the individual's liquidity, it's really key not to deplete all your personal liquidity in a specific fixed asset project. 
And that's where you come to the banks to look at financing options. Because when you deplete all your liquidity, it's possible that you put your business into a liquidity crisis to meet other short-term obligations. What's great about SBA programs is that for certain opportunities, whether it's buying equipment or that real estate, we have a lower down payment requirement, which allows you to preserve that working capital for other business needs. More and more so also as you are seeing the baby boomers entering retirement age, there's opportunities for or, or some of these companies that you have which are tenured and you have an opportunity now to either acquire a competitor or even buy out a business partner. We see that those opportunities are really cost-effective strategy as opposed to growing organically because the infrastructure is there. But more importantly, when you look at, at credit, why is it important? It's sometimes just to simply have a safety net to ride through some economic downturns. As we saw in 27, 2007, and 2008, a lot of businesses that did not have access to capital, who've utilized all their liquidity, unfortunately, they were forced to cut expenses. Oftentimes, it was laying off key staff or even closing their businesses. So there's a lot of great reasons to apply for credit, but there's no doubt that having liquidity is key and we can help you with that liquidity. So Hilda, to build on that, how should women-owned small businesses uh, think about a conventional conventional loan versus the SBA that Cheryl was just talking about for financing? There are a lot of financing options available, but it really comes back to three key points. Most importantly, I think it's what's your current cash position. So if you have a lot of an abundance of liquidity, sure, look for a program where you could put more down and you're financing less. However, as I said earlier, it's really important to make sure that you do preserve that liquidity and that you are not uh, depleting it so that you miss other obligations because that inherently is a detriment to your or, or credibility with not only your creditors, your suppliers, but your prospective lending partners. So cash flow position is really important, but it's also critical to understand your cash flow and what your comfort level is with respect to a proposed monthly payment. And we encourage business owners to not stretch themselves too thin. As we oftentimes hear when we purchase residential property, we're always told, stretch to that mortgage. Well, for a prudent business owner, I think it's really important to manage your debt and make sure that you are comfortable with that cash flow and you have the, the monthly payments that you feel that your business can support. We go through a lot of definite economic downturns and, and upsides. It's a quickly changing environment, so it's really important to make sure that you do give yourself some wiggle room and some cushion for some of those economic downturns. And lastly, It depends on how quickly you want to grow your business. How aggressive are you with respect to getting to the next level? And there are some SBA programs that uh, can provide a guarantee program to the banks, and that's where they have an appetite to be a lot more aggressive for their lending. 
Great. Thanks, Elder. So we, I, I talked a little bit at the beginning and this morning about um, really challenging the, the taboos um, and the ways that women feel awkward talking about talking about money. So we recently launched phase two um, of our, our visa, a really social campaign that's all around having women tell the stories of how they've really overcome those taboos and how they've really, they've, they've challenged um, uh, the, the traditional ways that women are supposed to view money or that they, they asked for equal pay to men. So it's, it's real stories that, that we're telling, and that's to, to help to give women the confidence. You see other women talking about what they've done, and you need to speak up and ask, ask as well. But, um, and, and so we felt like it was, it was a good way to actually leverage storytelling, having real women tell their stories. But obviously, even through applying for a loan, you have to tell your story about your business. So Cheryl, why don't I um, switch back to you? What are some of the criteria that lenders use to review an application and what kind of stories should these women be telling? Okay, great, great. Yeah, I, I think it's very true. It's I read an article recently where um, you all are entrepreneurs, but we're in an organization, and it talks about how women will wait until they are fully qualified to post for a higher job, whereas a man will be like, well, I can do that job, I, I, you know, and we'll post for it. So I think you're exactly right. We need to be aggressive. You know, we need, we need to be out there. So when it comes to lending, some of the things that a lender is going to look at, first and foremost, are character, cash flow, and collateral. Those are showing your propensity to pay and your ability to repay the debt because a lender never wants to provide financing to a business that they cannot afford because we don't want you to go out of business. I mean, we want you to be successful. So when it comes to character, they're going to be looking at your personal credit scores, business scores, history, things like that. That shows your propensity to pay. And then next is cash flow, and that's critically important. So does the business have sufficient cash flow to repay the debt? And when a lender looks at whether or not there's sufficient cash flow, they're going to be looking for a little bit of a cushion because we all know unexpected expenses come up. You may have a receivable that doesn't get get paid in, in time. And so the lender will probably talk to you about a cash flow coverage ratio. And what that means is they're going to expect that you have a certain cushion. So if your lender, let's say, comes to you and says, we well, need to have a cash flow coverage ratio of 1.2 to 1. What does that mean? It's okay, well, if I have to do that, what does it mean? And I like to boil it down to say, for every dollar that you have to pay in debts on a monthly basis, you have to generate a dollar and 20 cents. So it's that little bit of a cushion over and above what the payment is. Well, yes, if you have a startup, then you'd look at projections. What are you projecting? If you're an existing business, you look historically, but then with SB. Yeah, and then you can look as well. <laughs> so um, then is collateral. So collateral is a backup. Generally, the lenders are going to look at whatever assets you're acquiring with the loan proceeds as collateral. Depending on the financial strength of your business, your cash flow, additional collateral may be required. So you'd work directly with your lender to figure out what's going to be a, the appropriate collateral package. 
So an in-depth review of financials, projections, things like that is always first. That's what the lender looks at first. But then they do analysis that's very similar to what you do as a business owner. So they're going to look at things like the economy. How is the economy impacting your business? And believe it or not, a bad economy is not always bad for business. Like SBA lending is counter-cyclical. So back in 2007, SBA lending went way up because businesses were taking advantage, lower down payments, longer repayment terms. So how's the economy impacting your business? The industry that you're in. What are the trends in your industry? Who are your clients? Who are your competitors? What's your competitive advantage? Why do clients come back to you versus someone else? Um, They're also going to look at um, your operations. Have you made changes in the past 12 months? Are you making changes in the next 12 months? How is that strengthening your business? How are you using the money within those changes that you're doing? Let's say working capital, things like that. And then um, management, they're going to look at, do you have a succession plan? If, if, you know, a lot of times we see businesses where there's one key employee, if you weren't there, are there other people that could step in and continue running the business? So they're going to look at things like that. Um, I, I want to just reemphasize the story. That, that's the funnest part, I think, about my job is to sit down with someone and learn about their business, learn about what they do. I just think it's so amazing. The, the little There's different businesses you don't even think about. Like one day I went out to a business, and what they did is they took the salt and pepper shakers and the plastic forks and the napkin, and they put it in the plastic bag and sealed it. That's what their business did. They had all this big equipment that did it. I was just fascinated by that. I thought I never, never thought about where does that come from. So... <laughs> The, the stories, we love the stories. And then the other thing that's really very important is establish that relationship before you need credit. Because a, a banker does a lot more than just loans. They're, there's cash flow tools, there's investments, there's things like that. Plus, if they know you before you have that credit need, you're not starting from scratch. And then lastly, because I'm an SBA lender, don't shy away from the SBA programs. A lot of people think SBA loans are bad or if you're offered an SBA loan, it's because your business is, is not good. And that's such a myth. The SBA is a, is a really valuable tool for all types of businesses. Longer down pay or lower down payments, longer repayment terms, or maybe there are some credit weaknesses that it can help mitigate, but don't shy away from SBA. Um, no, please, please. Um, so collateral. Mm-hmm. Has, have the banks, and I'll, I, I can use my own experience, but a, a lot of what we're coming to is, and we heard about it on the last panel, influencers, this whole idea of social media. Are banks starting to look at social media as a type of collateral? As an example, if I have a million followers and my products are sold because of the social media presence that I have. Maybe it's a small product, maybe I'm not generating a profit yet. Collateralizing, using the social media as looking at one way of a bank's, I mean, I'm sorry, as a business path to success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, a lender's definitely going to factor that into their credit decision, and that's an important piece of the business, right? The more followers you have, you know, that there's definitely intrins- there's value there. From a collateral standpoint, no. There's, there's not, because collateral, like I'll use a piece of equipment as an example. If we finance a piece of equipment and then the business um, suffers and the equipment can be sold, with that, we can't step in and re- duplicate what you're doing. So, but it's an important story to tell your lender because that's a strong business, what you just described. So it just, it's not part of the collateral pool, but it's part of the overall review of the business. I think it's really important as, as so many new companies, especially for women, 
that is how a lot of awareness and engagement is generated, is this idea of social media and influencers, and it can't be underestimated in the story. Absolutely. And we have to try to influence that. It's a great question. It's something that over time should be the conversations that we're having with our banking partners. That yeah, That is, I mean, that talks to the projections. If you have a huge following, you are going to get that word of mouth and you're going to get the business. I think it's a, it's a great point. Sure. So um, when it comes to projections, the lender is going to want to know what the underlying assumptions are. Again, the story. So that's going to be really important. So if you put projections in front of a lender that says, I'm going to do a million dollars in business next year, but let's say it's an existing business and last year you did 10,000. Okay. So w- w- what's the assumption? What's changing? What What is that? And then as a lender, what I think is always good, well, as a, as a business owner, the lender is going to ask for, for projections from you. So you're going to give them what you expect. But as a business owner, and what I will tell people when I've collected projections before is I say, do three sets of projections, three sets. Do the absolute worst case scenario, like if, if I just barely scrape by, th- this is what it would look like. And that's your set of projections, right? So you know that's the minimum you have to do to be successful. And then you do the probably scenario. You know, this is probably what I'm going to see. And then the third is like best case. So if everything goes perfect, this is what's going to happen. And the middle one is what you want to provide to your lender. The middle one is the one that tells you, this is what I think I can do. But the assumptions, the underlying assumptions, how do you get there? That story is really important. That's basically what I do when I do my marketing plan every year, so that makes sense to me. And just to simply add to that, in all my long career in financial services, I've never seen a bad projection. And so that talks to exactly what Cheryl had said, and it is the underlying uh, assumptions. And that's why a business plan is so crucial for your company, because that's your roadmap, not only for yourself, but also for your prospective lenders to understand the basics of who, what, when, and where, and how, and all of that in terms of how do you plan to grow that business? How do you plan to use the proceeds? Why do you think that the revenues that you plan, project to generate are really realistic? So having a business plan is not necessarily just for startup companies. It's for every stage of a business because businesses are always dynamic and changing. And it's important to be prepared for those changes and be clear and succinct in getting your message through in a business plan. That's great. Is there anything else, Hilda, that we haven't mentioned that um, prospective borrowers should be doing to prepare to seek credit or loans? That's a great question, Marianne. And I think that one of the best things that I recommend to our clients is that you should be meeting with your banker on a regular basis. As frequently as you are meeting with your CPA, your banker should be one of your trusted advisors when you think about future endeavors, different projects, or planning for or different changes within your business. The business, as I said, was, is always really dynamic 
and change happens extremely fast. So how do we prepare for it? By speaking with the bankers and talking about what is your forecast, what are your plans? Because sometimes if you make financial decisions without speaking with your banker, it may limit the ability for us as a bank to be able to assist when time comes. Perfect example, I was at a, a conference and I was speaking to a business owner who talked about raising capital through a venture capitalist. And I said, did you realize that when you do that type of financing, it will deter you, it will take out the option of bank financing. And why is that? Because a venture capitalist will put a lien on all your company assets. There's no additional collateral support left from a bank's perspective when we ask for it. So it's really important to engage your banker in a joint meeting frequently so that we are aligned in terms of the objectives for your company. Do your research. The last piece of it is really be informed. There are a lot of information about a variety of financial solutions. It's really important to be able to ask clear questions when you have a basic understanding to make sure that the solutions offered to you really make sense for your business. Good question. Can you talk about the importance of establishing credit for your business and what are the steps to take to establish that credit? So starting credit for your business is really crucial. And the first step to it is by managing your credit with your suppliers on a timely manner. That's why we talk about not depleting your liquidity, but also at the same time managing your debt so that you are not behind in any obligations with either a supplier or a vendor or a financial institution, because that's what's the foundation to ensure that you have opportunities the next time you approach credit. We look at historical performance of the credits that you have. And so if you're either in default with a lender or a supplier and you don't have those terms available to you, then that's where typically we see a liquidity crisis. So really important to say, yes, I want to leverage credit to help my business grow, but at the same time, we don't accept every e-credit that is offered to us because we want to be mindful that we are using it specifically and managing it well. How does your personal credit factor into that, right? Especially if you're a solo founder or or sole entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. So personal credit is really a litmus in terms of how you will perform on the business side. So if your credit performance personally is poor, you're constantly late or you have defaults, then that is an indication as to how you will manage your business going forward. So it's really important to be on top of your credit. And for or I would recommend that if you have credit cards or, or different loans, pay down the principal payments as quickly as possible and manage that debt so that you have an additional capacity to take on more. And then I'll just, I'll just add, uh, a lot of times we see uh, businesses, especially when they're starting, they'll use their personal credit cards. And if a business credit card is what you want, because, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Yeah, because that starts establishing your history, um, and, and it separates. You, you want to have a separation between the business and personal. And even a debit card can help, mm-hmm. even before or in combination with a credit card. Absolutely. Sure. 
No, I was just going to say, I was going to say you take it from the personal side. And the challenge, I think, with doing it on the business side is they don't give you as much um, straight out of the gate, even if you have an established business, as maybe you qualify for on the personal side. So, yeah, and your accountant loves it when you... <laughs> Mixing, mixing and mingling, yeah. They love it. <laughs> but how, and how much is too much, right? To be to, to your point earlier, how much is too much, whether it's your personal or your mixing or it's business on the credit card side? I mean, I guess it goes. It, it's hard to answer generally. It goes back to sort of the you know one point two to to one ratio. I mean, you don't you just don't want to get yourself. Um, over-indexed and obviously in, in, in your debt until you're able to build up your, your business and have the confidence of what's going to be coming in and your projections of the future. It's so interesting because this conversation is so pragmatic and it's so logical and it's not the way net finance business is at all. Um, when you do, and part of the interesting part of all of this is it all seems fascinating to me and I'm texting with two young entrepreneurs that I mentor that sounds really complicated. I wouldn't even know where to start and all of this. And the whole mythology around who funded you, why that's important. So, I mean, it would be wonderful to try to figure out how you tell this story in a compelling way that that you wouldn't immediately think like a machine of the VC. Because in the end, we all know that private equity and venture capitalism not for any everybody. But we don't have these, con- like, we don't get spoken to as entrepreneurs like this ever. I mean, this is the first time I've, ever heard this conversation at any kind of entrepreneurial or startup. So thank you so much for having it. But I do think there's a real story to be told about how women fund and run businesses differently. And that, like, you're pragmatic, like, don't take up too much debt. That is the antithesis of everything that you're doing when you start a business, especially if it's a tech-enabled business. Mm-hmm. You want a 10 to 1 ratio, take on as much debt as you can, no. crush it the first year. Everybody knows your projection is a lie. Yeah. Like, usually it's meetings, they're like, well, why are these so low? You're like, well, because they're real. Oh, no, no, we discount everything you say to us. But oh. that's what we'll t- that's, that's what you're dealing with as an entrepreneur right now. None of it is real. It's all make-believe. And so how do we make this story the compelling, sexy story so that young female entrepreneurs actually understand, like, the SBA is my friend, and this is the way that I should fund it, and I don't have to pretend to be some tech girl in a hoodie and all birds to make my business worthy. This is great. This is great feedback because really, this is we're in the early stages of these workshops, and everything is right. Everything is based on research that we've done with with other women like you, and versus other men and how they view it. But this, you know, you're in it. So giving us that feedback so we can continue to build the tools and working with our partners to make sure we're telling the story in a way that's. Compelling and clear. Say to me, I think it's just easier to go out and get funding than to go get a loan because it sounds really complicated. Like, I think it would be way less complicated for a startup that doesn't have a product yet to go talk to a banker than to put themselves at the mercy of how we raise typically raise money right now. But she doesn't even know how in her founder mind right. to begin to do that because no one tells. It's not part of the story. It's not part of the mythology. I would definitely suggest that these individuals that you mentor do speak to their banks. Oftentimes, we see banks as purely transactional. However, we are evolving where we're becoming more advice centers. We have professionals who can really guide those individuals, young entrepreneurs, startups, to talk about what 
do we need to do to prepare for the next steps, even before it happens? Because as I said earlier, it may, the, the financial decision, if you are not including a banker in that conversation, can actually limit what we can help with. We're an agnostic lender at J.P. Morgan. I'm really proud to say that. We find the best solutions for the client, but that comes through communication, which is really critical. That's why I also encourage that we you include in those conversations your trusted advisors, your the folks that you go to for advice. Could be your CPA, could be your attorney, could be a mentor like yourself. And make sure that we are presenting all the solutions that is most suitable to your business. Plan before you have that opportunity to move forward. Yeah, I think what Hilda said is really important, having everyone at the table. Because as an example, your CPA wants to maximize your your taxes, right? Limit your taxes. And so they may pull money out of your business to minimize your taxes. But then when you go to get a loan, we can't do anything because the money's not there. So I think having that partnership is important. Did you have a question in the back? Um, I did. Um, so my business is a little different. Um, so I've been running everything myself um, since 2012. Um, I mean, handmade bath and body products. So when I first started, I was dating this guy. And he like hit, like, tapped me on the head like, oh, that's a cute idea. Like, oh, who's gonna buy that? Though? You know, like now, like six years later, this natural industry has exploded. So I've developed an entire line of products. I've done all my groundwork. I funded everything myself, and I'm at the point where I just need cash. And it's almost like, you know, this shiny story over here about the tech companies. There's no product. You know, but you get this big chunk of money. Like, how about like the really small people that need like twenty thousand dollars? You know, just to open up your storefront. Like, is that the kind of business that people are still funding, or is it always about you know, like the big money opportunity, or the shiny object of the tech companies? It's a great question. I'm going to hand that over to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, to, to answer your question, we do all size loans, loans, and, and I'm very proud of that. Like as an SBA lender, our um, our approvals are public information, so you can see what SBA lenders do. Our average loan size is very, very small because we we want to bank you from cradle to grave, you know, the, the whole gambit there. And, you know, kudos for you to go so long without financing and keep that business. That's great. But it sounds like you're at a point where you need to start the talking. The, you need, yeah, you need to start talking to the bankers. There's also some great resources available that um, through the SBA, the Small Business Development Centers, as well as SCORE. And what they are is you go in and you talk to them and you just tell them, this is what I want to do. And they give you feedback. Like SCORE, it's, it's the Service Corps of Retired Executives. Is that correct? So these are people that are, have been in industries that are comparable, not maybe the same, but comparable, and can give you some some thoughts on that. So, I mean, put, put your story together and, and do that. And if, and if you are, again, if you're not ready for the traditional bank financing, remember those CDFIs, those community development financial institutions, they're great resources as well. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of different opportunities. Um, and it sounds like you just need to have some, start having some conversations to see what can be done. Did you want to add anything? 
So there are a lot of great organizations out there that can help you look at opportunities and do the analytics. So as Cheryl said, the Small Business Development Center's score, these are great professionals that can help you develop that business plan. Because where it sounds like your starting point is, you've managed it on your own for the last five years. Now it's taking it to the next level and explain your story to someone else. And that's where the starting point is really critical to be able to be clear and succinct in terms of what you need and how you're going to achieve it. Yeah, because it's a little bit intimidating to figure out, like, like how do you find the woman banker? Oh, good time to introduce your... Yes. your they're actually here in the front row. Do you want to introduce them? So uh, we have two great... If, uh, folks from the firm. We have Chris Lawton, if you could please stand up. She is an area manager in business banking. Okay. And we also have she, who you can, who is a relationship manager, a business relationship manager at JP Morgan. So please take the opportunity throughout the day to come and speak with these folks. And I think that you're going to find some great uh, thoughts in terms and ideas in terms of how to grow your business. We also have Jackie Morgan, while you're introducing, in the front row from Visa, um, in case you want to talk to, to Jackie as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for all the great questions. I'm Jackie Courtney. I'm the founder and CEO of NearlyNewlyWed.com. There was a lot of interesting conversations about funding and money and debt that didn't just revolve around VC, which I thought was really interesting. I launched my business in 2012, and that was really new and fresh and very informative, even for me having been kind of in the space for a bit. One of the women said that she was talking about banking and people in the banking institutions, and she was talking. She said something along the lines of, we aren't just banks and transactional anymore. We're evolving. We can help in other ways. We can offer advice. Um, which I thought was really interesting. Also, that's not how you think of, I think of a banker. My name is Namu Park, and I'm the founder of The Sloth. Thank you for bringing us together. I think it's the community and the genuine, you know, spontaneous connections that we need to have and more conversations and more awareness. Um, and I eventually hope that, like, these sessions turn into actually concrete deals and more actual business turnarounds and actual companies succeeding in the future.